Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show for this Monday, October 9th, 2017 edition. Thank you for taking the time to tune in to this very important program today. And let me tell you, you don't know what a treat you're in for because I'm having a roundtable discussion with four incredible men today. I'm calling it the Gun Rights Defense Mass Shooting Roundtable And no discussion like this would even be complete without the following four incredible men. My first guest is Dr. Chuck Baldwin, pastor, syndicated columnist, and Constitution Party presidential candidate, 2008, author of To Keep or Not to Keep, Why Christians Should Not Give Up Their Guns. He's been a longtime defender of liberty. And also on the roundtable, Larry Pratt. For 40 years, he's been the executive director of Gun Owners of America, also the author of Armed People, Victorious and Safeguarding Liberty, the Constitution and Militias, and On the Firing Line. Also joining us is Sig Swanstrom, author of God, Guns, and Guts of Firearm Defense, former decorated police detective, SWAT team operator with years of deadly force encounters with armed criminals, owner of the renowned Texas Firearms Training Academy, and finally, well, it just wouldn't be complete without former Navy SEAL Dev Grew sniper trainer and tactical expert, featured on many things including History Channel's Sniper Into the Kill Zone, owner of the renowned world-class tactical insider. It is the one and only Craig Sawman Sawyer. What a team of gentlemen this is, folks. I'm going to start with you, Dr. Baldwin. Chuck, listen, I mean, of course, I've had you on the show lots. You wrote an incredible article on the shooting this week. I thought you raised some incredible points. Every day, there's like a barrage of all this new information, new angles. You know, it was a FBI psyop gone wrong. The guy was working for the feds. Was he working for ISIS? Wasn't he? It just, it goes on and on to the point of, nausea. Things just don't add up. You can just feel in your discerning gut something stinks in Denmark. Do you agree? Yeah, no question. Yeah, it, you know, you go into it uh, with an open mind and very objective, and you, you try to, to let the facts and evidence take you wherever it will. And I was the same way. I, I've been looking at this all week and studying every eyewitness uh, testimony I could and, and the videos they took. And the, I even went to the uh, recordings of the police scanners as the event was unfolding and tried to get as much information as I could. And, and I'm like you. The more I researched, the more I learned, the more I'm absolutely convinced that the lone wolf shooter that they're saying this was is absolutely impossible. It's impossible that this was done by just one shooter. Yeah, for sure. You know, I got a kick out of that. Oh, 23 guns, and he purchased 30, 40, 50. I mean, every day the story changes on how many guns this guy had. But, I mean, hey, you live in Montana, Chuck. It's not uncommon for, well, certainly where you live, for folks to have a lot of guns. But then, you know, the question becomes, why do you need 23 guns? Not only why do you need 23 guns unless you're arming a militia, but at first they were painting him out to be a 64-year-old, lascivious, lavish, throwing around his money, gambler, addicted to God knows what, all sorts of antidepressants and psychotropic drugs. He's got disabilities, but suddenly he can leap up 32 floors with 23 different, very specialized weapons, 
without detection in a very highly secured hotel, I might add, with security cameras literally everywhere. How does this guy suddenly go from what they were portraying him and now all of a sudden he's Jason Bourne? Yeah, <laughs> yeah well put. Yeah, I, This whole event requires mass planning. It requires a lot of work. It requires that a lot of things work well and that there's no inadvertent mix-ups and so forth. To think that this this 60-something-year-old man, who his brother has repeatedly said was not a gun guy and only owned a few firearms, et cetera, now law enforcement is saying, well, we see him, you know, buying guns 20 years ago, and he's been amassing guns. And, you know, some of them are even saying he was planning this for 20 years. I find that absolutely ludicrous. Yeah. That's, that's just that's just unbelievable. They would think we're so stupid as to fall for something like that. But, you know, is it possible that the brother would not know this about his own brother? I, I guess it's possible, but it's just not likely. I mean, first of all, I'm a gun guy, and I have a lot of friends that are gun guys. And we talk guns. I mean, everybody knows that we're gun guys, you know, because we, we talk about it. You know, if you're a car collector, you're a car guy. So you talk about cars. If you're a sports fanatic, you talk about sports. You know, whatever the thing is that, you know, that really kind of makes you tick, you, you talk about it. To, to think that his own brother would not know that he was a, quote, gun guy, that he was that into guns for that long, it just defies logic to me. And then to think that he goes to Vegas, suddenly starts amassing guns, and he starts, you know, getting into all this. Again, this is a 60-something-year-old man. This is a multimillionaire. This is a guy that flies airplanes. You know, this is a guy that gambles. He enjoys the good life. And nothing about that scenario makes sense. Is it possible? Yes. Is it practical? Is it probable? No. But beyond that, Sheila, to me, the actual events themselves and what took place and the evidence that we are now being able to accumulate from eyewitness testimony, video, audio, uh, the, the oral testimony of, of people, even it's interesting when you listen to the audio uh, scanner that police were making as the events were unfolding, which I've done, they, the police themselves identify shooters from midway up the, the hotel, not at the top, but from, from midway up. They identify shooters on the ground, Sheila. I've heard several witnesses say they are absolutely convinced, you know, that they will go to their grave knowing that there were shooters on the ground, that there were actually people shooting into the crowd on the ground. That's not even discussed, but yet you've got eyewitness testimonies that are swearing that it's true. Then you've got the Bellagio situation, that the people there are testifying that gunfire came through the front windows, the front door windows of the Bellagio, and they locked the Bellagio down, wouldn't let anybody enter out. And, of course, nobody's talking about the Bellagio, but you've got a whole bunch of people that were locked down in the, in the Bellagio Casino Hotel that are swearing that there was gunfire that was, that was shot into that casino. That's All right. these things just don't add up to what we're being told. There's so much more to it. Well, you'll find this interesting, Chuck, that I posted this. says 59 killed, 273 injured, and this is not Las Vegas. This is Chicago in the month of September, home of the nation's strictest gun laws, 
Funny how the media doesn't talk about that, Chuck. But here's the deal. It's always a chance for a gun grab after these mass shootings. And it's always seems strange that all these mass shootings are always on the heels of some big political upheaval. Like we looked at the NFL thing. Oh, you know, it's almost like, oh, we got to distract him with something else. There'll be a major boiling issue of contention and suddenly there's a mass shooting and that other issue goes away. But is this another opportunity for a gun grab, do you think, Chuck? Absolutely, for sure. Well, what they're going to do, I think, a Republican Congress notwithstanding, is they're going to ban bump stocks. And this is just another incremental approach. Hmm. And the Republicans are going to cave. You've already got Paul Ryan talking about it. You've already got Lindsey Graham talking about it. Even even the White House is talking about, you know, being open to it. There's no question. They're, they're going to ban bump stocks. Bump stocks are, first of all, they're, they are a very inaccurate way to shoot a gun. Any, any, any person familiar with guns understands that the only purpose of bump stocks is to get the thrill of the feel of an automatic fire out of a semi-automatic rifle, but it doesn't do anything to make the gun accurate. In fact, you cannot hardly shoot the gun accurately. It's not it's the way that the stock is made, and the you know the, the gun isn't made to fire with that. And it's, it's just a a very clumsy, awkward, inaccurate way to shoot a gun. It's what it is. It's a good way to throw away a lot of money. You know, just take take a lot of money in ammo and just go out somewhere to to, to a gun range and just waste a lot of money, but you're not going to be accurate. And that, to think that this guy at, at that distance, nearly 400 yards, four football fields, could take a gun that by itself with bump stock added to it is as accurate as it could be and then put him in a dark situation and put him in an elevated position, firing at that distance that accurately with a gun that is absolutely not capable of being accurate. Plus, he would have to be a really, really good marksman just to be able to figure out the angle and and the fall and and the distance. I mean, there are guys trained for years and years and years, and you put them up on a higher elevation like that at that much distance, and you've got to figure out the bullet fall, and you're going to make every shot count. And as far as we can tell, he shot for about 10 minutes, is all the time that he actually was shooting. And that wasn't solid shooting. That was reloading in, in between. So there was, of the 10 minutes, he might have been shooting five or six minutes. If it was one guy, he was able to put the fire into the crowd, accurately kill, you know, 58 people and wound so many more. I'm, I'm telling you, it justifies logic that he would be even able to do that. But also, what are you doing with all those guns? There's no logic in that. <laughs> I know. I wrote that in my column, Sheila. I, I, I know you read it. It, it. That was one of the things that I said just I, I didn't get the logic. Why would you bring 23 or whatever the number was rifles into your into your room? I mean, does he think he's going to be there forever shooting? Does he think that the guns are going to jam on him? You know, after maybe 30 seconds, a gun's going to jam and he's going to have to grab another one and then it's going to jam and he's going to grab. I mean, what logical explanation is there for that? Why would he bring some? I mean, really, I have not been able to figure out at all any kind of a logical reason why the guy would feel the necessity to take that many guns. I mean, I can understand the ammunition. He's planning on shooting as much as he can, and he doesn't want to run out. Okay, sure, I get that. Sure. You know, I could understand him taking two or three rifles, maybe. But 23 rifles, that just defies, defies logic. 
there's so many things about it. I mean, the video of the uh, of the gunfire coming out of the fourth floor by that taxi cab driver yeah, is, yeah. you know, and not only that, if you listen to the early part of that video, you will clearly hear two weapons yeah. being discharged. One very close, which is the one that we see in the in the video portion of of, of it, but the other is audio, and it's it's a distant sound. So you got two guns going off. One is really really close. And then you actually see it a little bit later. And then the other gun, you never see it, but you hear it in a distance. I mean, th- how anybody could try to explain that away would be absolutely impossible to do. Those are clearly two different rifles going off. Absolutely. And, you know, as the dust has settled on this thing and more information's come out, there is just so many inconsistencies. There's so many things that don't add up. There's so many new twists and turns and weirdness in this whole case. It just seems like it's just being orchestrated. And one guy posted this morning, you know, well, I have no problem with hunters having guns, but I think we should just ban guns permanently for citizens. And then the the guy goes on to say, yeah, and you don't need 30 rounds to hunt either. And I said, yeah, correct. But the Second Amendment was not written in case the deer turn against us, Chuck. Yeah. (laughs) No, no, no. The the Second Amendment was put there. So Yes, we could defend ourselves against this kind of stuff, a, a criminality in our own backyard, but also, in a, and more importantly, it was put there that we could defend ourselves against oppressive governments, whether that be uh, a foreign government or uh, our own government. The, the purpose of the Second Amendment was to give the, the citizenry an opportunity to defend itself against an oppressive government. And, you know, look, think about it. Should we talk about mass shootings over the last 120 years? of our history. There's been over 160 million innocent people murdered by own governments. Now you talk about mass shooting, there's nothing that comes close to this. You know, 160 million innocent people killed by their own governments. And on almost every instance, they were disarmed before that mayhem took place. So the, the, the record of history is that disarmament almost always precedes slaughter and murder and mass death by government. So, you know, this is something that the American people need to understand. But even more importantly than that, I think, is the fact that, not more importantly, but equally as as important, is the fact that, you know, we've lost the, the psyche in our country, thanks to the media and thanks to the government and thanks to even the churches, that we are a citizen militia. It is our responsibility to be armed. It is our responsibility to come to the defense of our fellow townspeople and countrymen. You know, that's that's the part of the Second Amendment that most people don't even talk about, the militia part. Well, what is it, what was that all about? Well, we, the citizenry of, of the country, are the militia of the country, the citizen militia. It is our responsibility, number one, to be armed, and number two, to be of a mindset, be ready always to defend our fellow man, our fellow countrymen, whenever the occasion arises. And, you know, it, now we've been brainwashed over decades and decades of this. We've been brainwashed into thinking that, no, the only thing we can do is just cower in fear and helplessness, and, we, you know, we have no way of fighting back, and we just have to wait for the, the police to show up to take care of us, that we cannot and should not defend ourselves. That's the mindset that the American people need to restore. It was an hour and 15 minutes Sheila, before police went through that hotel door to confront that gunman. Of course, he'd been dead a long time. But hour and 15 minutes. So think about what would have happened if the... 
people, the men especially of that of that hotel, had been armed. Of course, the hotel itself was a gun-free zone. You know that. I mean, even though Nevada is gun-friendly, the the casinos are gun-free zones. That's they don't right. let anybody carry guns, not even their security guards. So again, it was a, the hotel was a gun-free zone. If people had been in that hotel armed, if they had a, a militia mindset, if they understood it was their duty to protect their fellow man, that police weren't going to be there in time to stop this carnage, and they began to take action on their own, to start banging down those doors and letting that guy know that there was a bunch of angry armed citizens out there that were going to take it. I mean, they could have, I mean, this is, of course, speculation, but it's very, very possible, feasible, that they could have saved dozens of lives on the street. You know, but we're not, we're not allowed to think that way. They don't want us to be armed, and they don't want us to think like, hey, you know what? It's not the police's job. It's not the government's job to protect us. It's not their job to protect us. It's our job to protect Bingo. each other. Well, and a pastor who deals with this topic so much, you know, the vitriolic rebuke, the relegation to the depths of the dam that you, I know that you've had in the past because I've seen some of it. You talk about it in two of your books, Romans 13, how that's been butchered. You talk about the true meaning of submission. You and I have both talked about the the apathy and indifference of the American pulpit. And we're reminded what Charles Finney, the famed 19th century revivalist, said, if there's a decay of moral discernment, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the church is degenerate and worldly, the pulpit is responsible for it. If Satan rules in our halls of legislation, the pulpit's responsible for it. And when our politics become so corrupt that the very foundations of our government are ready to fall away, the pulpit is responsible for it. And I believe it's high time Chuck, that these spineless weasels in the American pulpit, they got to quit acquiescing to these ungodly agendas. You know, the answer to this is not more gun control. The answer is we need to get these pulpiteers with no testicular fortitude. They need to grab a spine, quit cowering in a corner. Oh, let's not offend anybody. No, it's time for the church to grab a backbone, Chuck. It is shameful. Yeah, I said that in my column as well. Yeah, what we are what we are witnessing, Sheila, is a nation that is experiencing the consequences of turning its back on God. Mm-hmm. And it, really and truly, as you just said, it's the pastor's fault. You know, they see themselves as CEOs, entertainers. You know, as you said, they don't want to offend the congregations or their denominational hierarchies. You know, they, they want to be liked. The messages are, are soft, shallow, and, and, and just squishy. You know, there's very little substance, very little meat, almost no controversy. They refuse to deal with any of the salient issues affecting our political life, you know, issues that are biblically based, issues that are all throughout the Scripture, and yet because they might tend to weave themselves into politics, they absolutely refuse to discuss them. You know, as a result, our, our country is without a compass. There's, there's no rudder morally and spiritually. Well, we've been spiraling out of control for decades, and it's the pastor's fault. It's the church's fault. But we are seeing a nation reap the whirlwind because of turning its back on God. And whether this was a lone wolf shooter and just one guy, crazy guy, miraculously doing all this, or whether this was a a government false flag event that was actually a professional hit that was done by, by professional killers, 
These would have to be government killers uh, if that were the case. You know, I don't, let me just say this, I don't buy for one minute that this was ISIS. I think that this, if this was a false flag, it was a government-sanctioned black operations activity. It, it was done by professionals. It was done, the only organizations that could be able to do something like this in the Western world would be our CIA, the British MI6, Israeli Mossad. Those organizations do things like this all over the world, and they could be doing it right here in the United States now. But if, if this is a false flag event, then that means it is a, it is a government-sanctioned professional killing. They're the only ones that could do it. They're the only ones that could set this up, plan this with such precision, such detail, have the, the desired consequences, and then vanish into thin air and leave one dead body left for everybody, you know, to blame. You know, only professionals could do that. So, you know, I, I just am not buying this. Oh, this is a, he's a converter to ISIS, and this is, an, I, I don't buy that at all. If, if this is a false flag, if it is, it was done by government-sanctioned black ops professionals. Yeah, well, I think you've made some excellent points, Chuck. And, you know, these crazies that go out and commit atrocious mass killings, whether they're black ops or something else or these programmed multiple mind-controlled minions, sadly, that is the price you pay for freedom. Liberty's risky business, Chuck. Yeah, it is. Liberty is risky business. And, and that's, you know, my dad used to say uh, when I was a kid, he said, a, a son, a, a bird in a cage is safe, but it's not free. Uh, if you want to go to an oppressed, caged society, move to communist China. Uh, you know, yeah. if you want liberty then you're going to take the risk of a, a, a guy using a gun for criminality, etc. But that's why it is necessary that we, the citizen militia, be armed and we be prepared to defend one another. And when that happens, the bad guys are not able to do nearly as much damage as they would be able to do as they are now. Whenever you have all these gun-free zones and you've got the American people afraid to think of themselves as an armed militia, afraid to arm themselves, not even thinking about arming themselves, and then considering it taboo if they arm themselves, and putting themselves at the mercy of the government it is never going to show up until everything is all said and done, and whoever's dead is dead. They're, they're never going to be there to protect anybody. That's not their job. It's the job of the citizenry to protect itself. Until you get people back into that mindset, then this kind of thing is just going to continue to proliferate, and it's going to continue to, to make it so that uh, the, law, the lawmakers are going to, oh, you know, we've got to ban this. They're going to bump stocks now. What's it going to be later? You know, red dot sites. I mean, the, the yeah. silencer bill had been sitting there on Capitol Hill all year long, all year long. The, the, the national reciprocity for concealed carry permits had been sitting there in Capitol Hill all year long. You know, it, it could have been passed. It should have been passed and signed into law you know, at any point during the course of this year. But Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell sat on it, did nothing, and now, you know, waiting for another incident to take place. And now that it has, oh, you know, the silencer bill is off the table and the national reciprocity is off the table. Again, you know, the, these people are working together, whether passively or actively, 
to take away our liberties. And if the American people don't figure this out, start recognizing the problem here and start rising up against it in a personal way. And that involves more than just voting for somebody who calls himself a conservative Republican, by the way. (laughs) You know, these problems are just going to continue. What we should be doing is, you know, rising up and demanding that the gun control laws that are already on the books be removed. Yes. Demanding that there be no more gun-free zones. Demanding that the private establishments that are they're open to the public cannot declare themselves to be a gun-free zone. Demanding that the, the people have the right to, to bear arms wherever they are in order to protect themselves. We ought to, ought to be demanding that the gun control laws that are already there be removed. Instead, the Republican Congress, President Trump, they're going to be asking for more gun control. And unfortunately, I predict that most of the American people are going to go along with it. Yeah, let's ban bump stocks. It's just another incremental approach to the same thing, more gun control, more gun control, more gun control. Absolutely. Well, folks, before we move on to our next guest, I just want to give you Chuck's information, chuckbaldwinlive.com. And, of course, you can go over to his Liberty Fellowship. That's libertyfellowshipmtformontana.com, libertyfellowshipmt.com. And, of course, they've got a Sunday, 2.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time live streaming. You can go back in the archives. All that information is there. And please go to the resources and the store and check out all the resources. You can also find groups. If there's a group in your area you'd like to host one yourself, you can even click there. All that information is there. We're going to move on in our roundtable to Mr. Larry Pratt. Chuck's been a pastor 40 years. Well, this guy's been the executive director of Gun Owners of America for 40 years. 80 years of life experience here. Larry, welcome to the program. You'll love this. There's an article up here today over at Clown News Network, CNN. They call for additional regulations on bump stocks. Oh, shockingly, another headline over there. Is it time to ban guns and end shootings? The evidence is stacking up around the world. And, of course, John, no brain, insane McCain chirping. You know, that guy is such a thorn in the side to limited government, Larry. He's always reaching across the aisle, but too bad it's to the left. Oh, Diane, not so Feinstein, Chuck the schmuck. All these liberal lemmings, what part of shall not infringe do these charlatans not get, Larry? No, they don't want to get the Constitution, and this is a very obvious place, but they uh, disregard it almost uh, every single day, ten times a day. Yeah, yeah and Hollywood is, well, Weird is weighing in on it. Of course, everybody's coming out of the woodwork to ban guns, but they don't mind their bodyguards being heavily armed and living in gated communities, though, Larry. That's right, and then they ride out on their limo to uh, explain to us how stupid we are to have guns. Well, you know, I saw a story, You, of course, you're on top of this, out of D.C. last month. Of course, we know that federal government, I think if I recall, it was a two-to-one decision, could end up going to the Supreme Court. You look at these states like California, where it's almost literally impossible to get a concealed carry permit. Of course, it's a vicious compliance on these permits, too. It's like, oh, I dare you to try to get one. I mean, is this mind-boggling to you? As it is me. Well, we've seen this movie before, and it's the same old, same old. 
and it's a pity, but I think the uh, the rank-and-file gun owner, the rank-and-file Constitution uh, respecter, gets it. Yeah. And I think they see what's going on. They know that we've been here before. This is exactly the way it unfolded after Sandy Hook. I think the NRA might have uh, made a public statement a little sooner than they did after Sandy Hook, but it came out the same way. Right. Oh, and then, of course, immediately following this massacre in Las Vegas, Hillary Clinton has to take to Twitter to talk gun legislation amid the fallout. Of course, turn the political spotlight on a gun bill that's currently making its way through the House. we got to stand up to the NRA. I mean, what kind of mindlessness is this? And never let a good opportunity go to waste. She really jumped on that to politicize it, didn't she? Well, she doesn't know anything, and she embarrasses herself, but she's in such a bubble that it'll probably not be explained to her that, ma'am, uh, that really didn't sound very smart. Uh, it's very uh, predictable. It's uh, the way the left operates. In fact, Nancy Pelosi is already on record with a statement that uh, the bump firing mechanism will be just the first step. This is where this is intended, and um, for those that are willing to make a deal, uh, it'll be a deal, all right. <laughs> yeah. not be a very good one. We need to get rid of federal gun laws, not add more regulation. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now, if they don't like the plain meaning of that, work to change it. Until then, we're listening to a bunch of people call for illegal action. Well, and you've yourself, I mean, you know this well, you've lobbied Congress to get rid of gun-free zones. One of the readouts of murder-friendly zones, as I call them, it's very stunning to me when you look at the safety, when you look at the protection. I mean, these gun-free zones do not work, Larry. No, um, that's where 98% of mass murders take place. So it kind of makes you think that maybe they are somehow connected. Wow, you think? <laughs> well, look at Honduras, population 8.2 million people, banned citizens from owning guns. It has the highest homicide rate in the entire world. Now let's compare that to Switzerland, population the same, 8.2 million, and it requires citizens to own guns. Wow, lowest homicide rate in the world. I could just provide statistics out the yin-yang. In fact, I did break down that in, a, in an article. Does this ever register with these people, Larry? I don't think it does. I think they are in such a happy little bubble where the government will take care of them that it never occurs to them that the happy little bubbles are where most of the mayhem occurs. It's emotion. It's not really logic the way you and I would, would uh, view it as serial thinking, fact-based, and so if the facts don't uh, match with our hypothesis, then we're willing to admit that maybe we've made a mistake and see where we need to change. That's not where the other side is coming from. They feel. They reason from their feelings. I, I've had precisely this kind of discussion more than once where I've made these points, such as the 98% of mass murders occur in these gun-free zones. Well, I just don't feel safe thinking that somebody might have a gun where I am. Yeah. Did you see this thing with Uber? This taxi driver kind of staved off a mass shooting. One of the first... Up in Chicago. Yeah. 
and then they fired him and uh, issued a policy that uh, uh, their drivers had to be no guns as their passengers. So um, I use other services. Well, that's a court ordered too. Ironically, one of the first in Chicago that was court ordered, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was after a uh, one of those court orders, and a Uber driver had managed to crawl over the regulatory glass to get a permit. It was one of the very first. He saw a gangbanger firing into a crowd, probably of other gangbangers, and it looked like it was about to be a mass murder. And he got out of his uh, Uber and. I forget whether he actually fired at the guy or just said, stop it, uh, or something to that effect, and that ended it, uh, because he had a gun, and he was rather persuasive because he had a gun. Yeah, that's <laughs> ironic. <laughs> rather persuasive. Who would have thought? Yeah, who would have thought? <laughs> you know, should we ban cars? Should we ban sugar? I mean, sugar kills more people a year than... I mean, where does the logic end in this? Well, again, it's not logic, it's feeling. And that's why the discussion is difficult to conduct, because the other side seems to live in a fact-free environment. (laughs) Fact-free zones, I like that. Well, Larry, the Second Amendment reads as a clear rebuke against any attempt to restrict the citizen's gun ownership. The Constitution's not neutral. It was designed to take the government off the backs of the people. In other words, it thwarts government overreach. Those freedoms enshrined in the Bill of Rights in their entirety stand as a bulwark against tyranny. Yet to our detriment, these rights have been steadily weakened, eroded, and undermined in the past, well, two decades. Without the Second Amendment right to own and bear arms, we're that much more vulnerable to the vagaries of an out-of-control, malevolent, dictatorship-type tyranny. And it's kind of hard to read the Second Amendment and not honestly conclude that its framers intended gun ownership to be an individual right. The Second Amendment's right to bear arms serves as a check on the political power of the ruling authorities, the warning shot over the bow to discourage any unlawful violations of our persons or property. My grandfather took a bullet in Normandy. He understood these. But, you know, Larry, things are fathers and grandfathers would have took to the street over. We don't even bat an eye over it. And that's that's a slap in the face to men who died and bled in the battlefield to protect the blanket of freedom the Constitution provides and the very liberties that we enjoy for the most part today. Oh, my. Uh, I think you're quite right. Uh, we've just uh, gradually come to... It's We'd rather be comfortable and we'd rather be convinced that the kind of things that I talk about and others in the freedom movement talk about are, well, that is really rather unnecessary to talk like that. Again, they, they've convinced themselves that they don't have to pay attention to that. So even if they understand that that's really what it means, uh, well, that was then and this is now. Times have changed. And if there ever was a mindless expression, what does that have to do <laughs> with what we're talking about? I suppose people were telling George Washington as he was freezing his feet off uh, in Valley Forge, what are you doing here, man? Times have changed. Well, there you go. Times have... Get with the program, Larry. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> well, you know, it was, I think, George Orwell noted that rifle hanging on the wall of the working class cottage is the symbol of democracy. It's our job to see that that gun stays there. Guns- I like the uh, Swiss saying that the rifle is an, the emblem of a free man. That kind of gets down to it uh, with very few words. 
Japan's Admiral Yamamoto, you know, you can't invade yeah. mainland China because there'd be a rifle behind each blade of grass. That's kind of... And, and actually, whether Yamamoto actually said that yeah, or not, yeah. I tend to believe he did. The Japs had begun with a quick surprise attack on one of the islands in Hawaii, either right before or right after war had been declared, probably right after. Yeah. And they were repulsed by the armed people of that island. So, yeah, they'd yeah. be a little sensitive to these crazy Americans with their love affair with guns. Their love affair. Well, I heard a guy say this morning, you'll get a kick out of this as we wind down. This morning, this, you know, anti-gunner, he was on TV, I'm, and he said, you know, gun owners are in conflict with the rights of citizens. And I thought, I'm sorry, what? Excuse me, but gun owners are citizens. Like, a lot of these people who... And this out, is a right of citizens. Hello? Hello. Yeah, a lot of these people, they spew out these nonsensical statements, but really... Well, they're used to defining the terms of debate, and that's a fairly artless effort and fairly transparent effort to do just that, so that words no longer mean what they really mean. They mean what the left wants them to mean, and it's kind of like uh, Mr. Carroll taught us in the when the, he has the Queen of Hearts, I believe it is, saying, I can believe eight different things before breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> Take a minute just to talk to the audience, uh, the listeners, of course, mostly conservative Christian, pro-Second Amendment. I mean, probably preach into the choir, but what is important to take away from this week, and why do we need to really stand even more firm right now, Larry? Well, there's a headline in the Washington Free Beacon. Um, Pelosi, quote, I certainly hope the ban on bump stocks would lead to further gun restrictions. That's what we're talking about tell members of Congress, if you vote to ban my Second Amendment, I'm going to vote to ban you. Yeah, hear, hear. Well, there's plenty of laws in the books right now. Give us a sneak peek at what is going on right now, Larry. Well, the pity is that the Congress, under the feckless Republican leadership, uh, did not, on the second day they were in operation in January, move to enact gun law, uh, the bill which would be the national uh, recognition bill of concealed carry permits around the country, and a bill that was shortly after introduced to uh, deregulate suppressors. That Those could have been, should have been, put on the president's desk, which he would have signed uh, before the end of January. They didn't do it because they didn't want to do it, and now we're in the pickle that we are in because we have a feckless Republican leadership. Yeah, well, there you go. Uh, case in point, John McCain? John McLoser, I think, would be his real name. Uh, this man has been losing valiantly for the party for some time, and he's ready to lead us into another defeat. Just get behind him. Well, Larry, I always laugh and say, liberalism, let's find a cure, folks. But I think I like your, maybe like a bumper sticker that says what you just said. You ban our guns, we'll ban you. We need something like that, don't we? Maybe a bumper sticker that says, infringe politicians, not rights. <laughs> hey, I think you're onto something, Larry. That could be <laughs> we'll, a, look a, we'll look into it. <laughs> Listen, give out your website on how folks can get your, and I encourage you today, listeners, there's lots of things you can get when you sign up to the newsletter. Talk a little bit about that, Larry, how folks can well, get if, that. Well, if you go to gunowners.org, you can get our email alerts. It's a freebie. We're mainly uh, concerned that you be aware of the fight so you can be involved in the fight. Those email alerts make it extremely easy. I've timed it less than 30 seconds from the time you get one to the time you're 
sending off an email of your own that we've written off to your member of Congress telling them, this is what I would like you to do or not like you to do. Believe me, that has an impact. Uh, Senator Everett Dirksen was a Republican leader uh, years ago, and he was fond of saying that, oh, when I feel the heat, I uh, see the light. <laughs> and so uh, anybody listening, I hope they'll go to gunowners.org. It's a, a free and quick way to apply some heat so that hopefully some members of Congress finally see the light. Yeah, well, we won't hold our breath, but thank you so much, Larry, for coming on this roundtable, and thank you for your tireless work in this fight. Everything that you do, sir, thank you so much for taking the time to come in on the program. Thank you for your microphone. Uh, without that, uh, it would be almost impossible to do what we do. Thank you. Thank you, sir. God bless. Well, we're going to move right on along in our roundtable. We're going to go to Sig Swanstrom. Again, Sig Swanstrom is the author of God, Guns, and Guts of Firearm Defense. He is a former police detective and SWAT team operator in Los Angeles with years of deadly force encounters with armed criminals. And today he owns a highly acclaimed Texas Firearms Training Academy. It is my pleasure to welcome him to the program. Sig, thank you so much for coming on, sir. Well, thank you, Sheila. It's an honor to be with you. And I'm excited to be dealing with this topic at a time when there's so much confusion and we need to be able to sort out the facts from the innuendo and see what we can learn from it in addition to uh, directing our prayers to those that were injured and the families of those that were killed. Uh, This is a lot to deal with when most people have never had to confront this kind of evil in their lives. Very true. Well, again, as I said in my intro, you've, you've had years of deadly force encounters with armed criminals. What are your thoughts with all your experiences you come away from this shooting that happened in Vegas, Sig? I've been so conditioned by television and movies that the gap between fiction and reality is sometimes bigger than we think. Um, the first active shooter incident I was ever involved in, I responded to the scene as a uniformed patrol officer at the time, and I was first one on the scene and I, you know, sneak around the corner of a building and look, and sure enough, there's a guy in a second-story window in a downtown area, and he's taking shots at people on a busy night, and this is in a bar district, so a lot of people moving in and out of restaurants and bars, and all these people are just standing there watching, and I start yelling at people to get down, get out of the way, and not until the first person was hit did the crowd start to actually move. And we saw the same thing in Las Vegas. I, I saw one picture of uh, half a dozen police officers huddled behind a police car that was in the line of fire. And there's, you know, John Q. Public standing up about 40 feet just staring at the whole thing. No cover, you know, no concern, no movement. And... You know, the whole issue of situational awareness, I think, is really our first step to safety. You know, I'm a big advocate for concealed carry, but beyond that, uh, carrying a gun isn't enough. You've got to be aware of your surroundings and respond to the surroundings, or you'll never even get the chance to use the gun often. And it's sad. And, of course, you know, we really, there's two levels of these uh, respondents. And one is just nice, kind-hearted people that have been duped by the media 
and this frothy argument that are just based on emotion. And then the second is the more nefarious side, where there's people that want to disarm America because they have another agenda, and they know that an armed America is not going to allow that to happen. And you know, our founders were incredibly brilliant, and they knew of this problem, and you know, spoke about it, and that's why the Second Amendment was enacted. And unlike even a lot of people on the right side of the issue talk about, well, you know, it's, they wanted to protect our hunting rights and our marksmanship rights and things like that. Well, you know, that was a given. They didn't even consider that that would be debated. The whole issue with our founders was the ability to stand up against a totalitarian uh, government or people who would disarm them so that they could control them. So, you know, I think we've got to also look back at our founders' wisdom and see why they were doing the things that they were doing. Um, George Mason, who was the one who penned the Second Amendment, did so only under duress because initially he thought, well, nobody's going to confess this. Why is it even necessary to put it in the Bill of Rights? And he was finally convinced in conversation that it would be someday necessary, and boy, we're living in that day today. Uh, but we have to remember, too, that this is a very slick strategy on the other side. It's a divide-and-conquer strategy. And I was sad to see the NRA coming out with their milk toast response yeah. to the bump stock, not because I'm such a, a fan of the bump stock. I don't, I don't own one. But at the same time, what the left is doing is criticizing uh, little things that they think they can win on, and in the process, it just whittles away our rights. You know, I don't think that bump stocks have been a big problem. Neither has uh, high-capacity magazines. And we see other things like the uh, erosion of rights of not just gun owners, but of gun ranges as well, where you have the EPA stepping in, trying to control gun ranges because of the emissions of guns. And, you know, there's all these different methods. And what we have to be aware of is we may not care so much about high-capacity magazines or bump stocks or whatever, but it's part of a strategy. I mean, we had Hillary Clinton jumping in immediately talking about silencers, and there was no silencers used in this crime. But that's yet another example of, you know, a divide-and-conquer strategy. Most people don't have silencers, so they don't really care, so they're not going to fight to retain the right to be able to um, go through a special background check and buy a tax stamp and pay $1,000 for a silencer. <laughs> so, you know, our opposition is very shrewd. And, you know, the Bible tells us we are to be shrewd as a serpent, but harmless as a dove. The problem with our opponents are they're shrewd as a serpent, but they're not harmless in the least. And unfortunately for most of us, we've learned the part about being harmless as a dove really well, but uh, the shrewd as a serpent is evasive for many of us. That's right. Well, and one of the things you cover so good in your book, and I think this is really important, you know, when it comes to these gun statistics, and you've laid these out so well in your book, there's things that liberals don't want you to know. Background checks do not stop high profile attackers. 
And it's funny because although gun grabbers relentlessly push background checks as the solution to stop high-profile attacks on innocent Americans, the facts are that background checks don't hinder these high-profile attackers in the least. Look at Orlando attacker Omar Mateen. He passed a background check for guns. Almost every high-profile attacker in the past 10 years has. And more people are killed with clubs and hammers than rifles. And AR-15s are not automatic rifles, although, you know, these crooked politicians like Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders and all these media pundits are so quick to... They always refer to AR-15 as an automatic weapon, but the fact remains that AR-15s are semi-autos. They shoot one round and only one round each time the trigger's pulled. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but an AR-15 shoots no faster than a Glock or a 9mm. I think gun-free zones are killing fields, and what the media won't tell you is that guns are legally used for self-defense almost a million times a year. And don't even get me started on Europe and all those bogus statistics. I mean, it's insanity, Sig. Oh, it is. And, you know, when I was writing that book, I, I went into the EU's database, public database on crime statistics and just and really dug around to try to find the truth on these issues. And what I found was just shocking because what we are being told by our U.S. media is just not true. And it's even less relevant if you were to take out a few st- key cities from our statistics like Chicago and Detroit and Washington, D.C. and New Orleans, we would be towards the bottom of the list. I think we'd be number four from the bottom of the list of Western European countries and the United States. And if you look at other Eastern European countries, um, their crime rates are horrendously higher, including with guns. So, you know, when we outlaw guns, one of the things they don't say, for example, is in the uh, uh, United Kingdom, there's a huge problem with nighttime burglaries. And of course, nighttime burglaries are far more dangerous than during the daytime. When I investigated these crimes, most daytime burglaries were done to unoccupied homes. But on nighttime burglaries, the burglar is expecting people to be there. So violence is built into the formula. Well, England has twice the number of nighttime burglaries than does the United States. Well, do you ever hear about that? And, you know, encounters with burglars and nighttime hours. And the poor Brits, you know, have nothing but a baseball bat or a cricket bat to defend themselves. You know, of course, even though it's been illegal to have a gun in, in England, except in special circumstances or special conditions for a long time, you know, their crimes of violence are increasing. And, you know, the country that is known for having its unarmed bobbies, I don't know if you've been to England lately, but you walk around and they have the unarmed bodies still on the street, but they have a lot more visible police officers with MP5 submachine guns strapped around their shoulder. So the good example, the model of how wonderful disarmament works is being proved wrong every day in England. And now with the influx throughout Europe, of Muslim extremists, Mm, you know, that's becoming an even bigger issue. And of course, it isn't just guns we're confronting. It's people throwing acid in the face of other people and knifings. And, you know, of course, in France, 
you know, their mass killing was with a truck. So, you know, I looked at, I remember when that incident happened in France, I looked at that and thought if just one person there had had a handgun, they could have stopped that carnage. Yeah, that's right. And of course, they're outlawed in France as well. So you see, it's just so unnecessary. Well, coming away from this shooting, the dust has settled on everything. I mean, you're an investigator, years of experience in crime scenes. What stands out to you is very odd in this? I mean, I'm sure there's lots of things, but just what are the general takeaways that you have from this Las Vegas killing? One of the big things to me in all the pictures that I've received from friends, where are the shell casings? I mean, if he fired enough ammunition to wound or kill 500 people, that room should be littered with a multitude of shell casings. But in the pictures I've seen, it certainly isn't. I mean, you do see shell casings. So I ended up pulling out all the pictures I have and looking at them. And it covers the photos I have cover the whole floor of that suite. And there is not a big pile of brass anywhere. So what in the world is the story with that? I'm not saying there might not be explanations, but I'm saying these are the kind of questions we need to answer. You know, why was there a warning to the crowd? You know, with yeah. these people we hear about that were two people that were wandering through the crowd telling people that they better get out or they're going to get shot. What was that all about? And, you know, a, a town like Las Vegas is incredibly uh, scrutinized with video surveillance. Yeah. And if there was just one shooter, well, why not release some of the videos showing him by himself? And if he was down gambling, do you really think a guy who's brought 23 guns to the party is going to leave all these guns <laughs> in his room while he's downstairs gambling? And, you know, I realize he put the sign on the door that said, do not disturb. But after it had been on the door for several days, I mean, these hotel maids and other people are get curious. You know, they want to know what's, what's going on. Do I have a dead body in here? you know, natural causes or whatever. So there's just so many unanswered questions. We've got to get answers to these. And uh, the odds seem pretty high that there was more than one person involved in this shooting. There's a difference here between an ongoing investigation where they're going to be taking someone to court and an investigation like this one, where their uh, supposed lone wolf assassin is already dead. I mean, there is not going to be appeals in court and, and disclosure problems and these other issues that are very real problems in a, a criminal trial. But that, that's not the case here. So it's just not credible the way it is uh, with the information we've been given. Now, again, maybe it all is explained away, and that's fine. But we need to have that information. Um, the day of just saying, uh, you know, trust me, yes. I'm with the government, <laughs> and I, I'm here for your benefit. You know, the day of that is long gone. Yeah. And I had the honor of working with Ronald Reagan. And, you know, he's famous for coining that phrase, the most scary words are, I'm with the government, and I'm here to help. You know, he always said that as a kind of a humorous quib, but it's so true. Not that there aren't wonderful employees of our government that are doing great things and are, you know, selfless public servants. But have you noticed we don't talk about them as public servants anymore? 
<laughs> yeah, that's out of vogue now. Well, in the waning moments of this roundtable, final thoughts for the listeners. I know off air you and I talked a lot about, you know, it's one thing to be stockpiled with guns, but it's another thing to really be trained on how to use them. And situational awareness is important nowadays in the environment that we live. You train so many different levels of people at your Firearms Academy. Final thoughts for the folks. I would like to stress the importance of getting competent training because owning a gun, it doesn't, you know, equip you to use the gun any more than owning a football makes you a football player. You've got to learn how to use that firearm. And I don't mean just going to the range and standing in front of paper and punching holes in it. It's got to be tactical training where you're learning to move and shoot and you're engaging multiple targets. And unfortunately, most ranges will not allow you to do that. So you have to find a a, a firearm training facility where you can do that. And then also, a lot of people get their concealed handgun license, but then don't even carry. And I think we're beyond that now. We're to the point, if you are trained and you have a license, you need to start carrying regularly. And I have friends who carry small guns. And a few years ago, I had my old police partner who went to the FBI and was responsible for SWAT teams for the FBI. I called him up one day and I said, you know, I'm really tired of carrying a big gun and I'm thinking about going to a smaller gun. What would you recommend? And he had a one-sentence response that was so wise. He said, don't carry a gun that you don't want to have in a gunfight. <laughs> Back to my old, you know, full-size gun again. So, you know, we do need to carry the right gun and the right ammunition as well. And nine millimeters are the most popular uh, concealed carry gun right now. But uh, you really have to have the right ammunition in a nine uh, millimeter, or it tends to uh, have excessive penetration, which means you know, through the walls in your house and so on. Um, but we also need to have discernment about when to use our gun. I mean, this is, if you ever shoot someone and kill them, I mean, think about it. We are probably dispatching them to an eternity in hell. Uh, we don't want to take this issue lightly. And yet there's still a lot of confusion of, should I shoot to kill or shoot to wound? And the answer is no, neither of those. We should shoot to stop. And we keep on shooting until the threat has stopped. We don't take a couple shots and then put our gun down and see if it's okay. We keep on shooting until we know the threat is stopped. And then the last thing I'd like to mention is that there is, um, like in my, my church, there's a lot of people that carry a concealed handgun. But it's important to realize that in an environment like that, if you end up having, you know, a bad guy walk down the aisle and start shooting at people, if people in the congregation just stand up and start returning fire, where are all those bullets going to go? You know, statistically, even with police officers, more than half of the bullets miss their target. So where are those bullets going? Are they going into your fellow parishioners? Um, so we have to set up fields of fire, and our churches need to have be active in uh, understanding active shooter situations. We need to have teams within our churches or any public gathering uh, where we're associated, you know, with that group. 
they need to have really wise counsel, and uh, the audience needs to understand, the, the congregation needs to understand that we have a team in place, so if something happens, you don't need to take instant action, you know, leave it to our security team. Mm, that's good advice. Yes, indeed. Well, I'm going to leave you, Sig, with this little funny side note. My friend has this funny sign on his property. It says, attention, burglars, please carry ID so we can notify the next of kin. I thought you'd like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Sid, thank you so much for taking the time to come on this roundtable and I've got your information linked in there for the folks. So, And folks, I really recommend to get Sid's book. It's so good. He's got, He's got another one coming out. I'll have to have you back on. But get this book, God, Guns, and the Guts of Firearm Defense. Excellent book. Thank you so much for your time and coming on the roundtable today, Sid. God bless. Thank you, Sheila. You're doing a very important job. Thank you. Thank you, Sig. Well, we're going to move on in the last guest of our roundtable. And what a privilege to have him back on this particular topic. It is the one and only Craig the Sawman Sawyer, highly decorated former Navy SEAL, dev grew sniper and tactical expert, featured, well, on many things, too many to list, but also on the History Channel Sniper, Into the Kill Zone, owner of the renowned Tactical Insider. I could just go on and on all day with his very impressive bio, but without further ado... Welcome to the program, Craig. Pleasure to have you back on, sir. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure. Well, where I want to start, Craig, is first of all, Communist News Network, CNN, put up an article, the NRA's strategic ploy on bump stocks. It was a bit of a stunner Friday when the National Rifle Association announced its support of regulation on bump stocks. You know, this is where people get into semantics on, well, it's regulating or banning so again, the NRA, it called for a federal review of so-called bump stocks. Craig, what is your take on this whole bump stock issue and the NRA stating that some regulation may be necessary? Well, I don't, I don't know why the NRA would give an inch with this. It's, I, I haven't heard their, their exact statements, but I hear they're, they're looking to, uh, to cooperate and have a discussion on the bump stocks and so forth. But they know better than anybody. They've done all the studies. They know the history. It's not any one particular item or any modification of an item that's the issue. We've got a cultural problem in this country, and we've got a big government problem, a political problem, because we've got a globalist effort to take over complete control of the United States, and they need us disarmed to do that. They need us divided and disarmed. If we understand where they're headed, what their objective is, then we can effectively counter that. So I would say, man, to anyone, even including the NRA, don't give another inch because there's never going to be enough. And it's a creeping tyranny where they're just going to take, 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 take. There will never be any give from the radical left. They want a, a tyrannical, totalitarian government system that puts us under their boot, and we must not give any further. Decent, patriotic, peaceful Americans need give no further. We're not the ones out there murdering people, and for us to give up our ability to defend ourselves does not help anything. And we have to realize that the radical left is going to attack us and falsely accuse us of being everything that they are when they don't get their way. 
if we don't give up our right to defend ourselves, then they're going to call us racist or they're going to call us, you know, uh, uncooperative or anything else that they can come up with. They're going to say, even if we're looking for the truth behind the curtain to see what evil lies behind this manipulation of the, of the public perception through these false flag events. If we're asking questions and researching, they're going to say that we're attacking the victims somehow by not accepting the false story, which doesn't hold water. So it's just, they're all tactics. Sheila, we've got to realize what they're after and not give it to them, no matter how frantic they become and no matter how big a tantrum they throw <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a big desperate attempt to try to overcome the fact that they are swirling the toilet, heading down the drain, because I think the Americans are awakening. I see it as, as an increasing desperation from the radicals. And they, they were essentially guaranteed full control. They were guaranteed the keys to the kingdom, you know, full control of the United States because the puppet that they had purchased beforehand, Hillary Rodham Clinton, was going to hand them the keys to the United States. And so they had it rigged and they were completely sure that it was done. When, through whatever miraculous series of events, thwarted that and Donald Trump became president and began trying to drain the swamp and give control back to the American people, the left began becoming very, very desperate. And now I think they hadn't anticipated this. And when they couldn't make the Russian collusion thing stick, when that fell apart and backfired in their faces, they started with the racist thing. And whenever his history of being specifically and not a racist has been brought to the, to the fore and they can't make that stick, now they're on their you know fifth and sixth you know, last-ditch efforts to try to make something stick. So they've got less time to plan and strategize, Sheila, as the more times Donald Trump wins and the longer we the people maintain a, an elected official who has our back, the more desperate, the more frantic, and the less time they have to plan, the more ridiculous their attempts become. And they're not well planned out. They're, they're easily picked apart, and they're failures become like a cascading sheet of failures where it just accelerates until it finally will implode, I sure hope, at some point. So I think that's what we're seeing now. They're trying these things, these false flag events to try to sway public opinion against the Second Amendment and try to disarm us as best they can. I don't think it's going to work. I think people are waking up now and seeing through it. I think there are a lot of holes in the official story. And, and I think the American public are finally starting to realize that, you know, just because the official government tells them something doesn't mean that that's true. And the fact that we should probably start assuming that it's false. <laughs> yeah until that swamp is drained and we get some good morally decent and ethical people in charge of these agencies and get them back on their chartered mission for we the people because right now it seems like uh, so many of them are are on an agenda to put us under a global rule that's uh, that's hostile to we the people so we, we really must pay attention i love it the cascading failure of these desperate people and as larry pratt said you know, they live in a fact-free society. They refuse to acknowledge that people are safer when people are armed. When you outlaw guns, Craig, only criminals have them. And I always say a gun in the hand of a bad man is a dangerous thing, but a gun in the hand of a good man is no danger to anyone except a bad guy. And again, I do joke, liberalism, let's find a cure, folks. But joking aside, Craig, how do you have 
a conversation with these progressive liberal mindsets where there's no rational thought, there's no common sense, and it's so frustrating. It is. And you speak to the liberal mindset. Where did this come from? You know, it's been a long systematic uh, campaign to cause people to take on that that form of thought. I I say that liberalism is ideological rabies. If you look at, at the psychology uh, of trauma, if what happens when a young mind is traumatized, I don't care if you're raping a child or you're physically abusing them. If, if a child undergoes psychological trauma, their brains adjust out of a self-defense mechanism, if you will, and it begins to use a different portion of the brain to think with. Well, what it really does is, bless their hearts, it shatters their psyche and it causes them not to be able to deal with more uncomfortable logic sequences. They can't necessarily, like, like other responsible adults, look at the unpleasant facts and make a good judgment call on where that leads to and, right. and make good sense of it. They're much more juvenile in their thinking after that, and they're much more emotional. And I'm like, my God, that's a liberal. If you traumatize a child, you've basically created an adult liberal later on because their mind, out of no fault of their own, is going to retreat to the more primal portion of their brain, the more central mammalian portion of their brain, and they're they're on emotion now. And if you say, hey, look, you know, if you do bad things, you're going to get in trouble. They're like, well, that doesn't feel good. Why can't I attack the police and not get beat down? Well, if I've got to walk you through all that, you know, it's it's going to be a long conversation. You're parents should have taught you that and and why can't you you know disarm innocent peaceful law-abiding american families and have the crooks in the bad part of town stop shooting people up well if i have to explain all that to you something's wrong with your thinking you know you you said it earlier it's not the innocent people that need to be disarmed and take the tools from them to defend their families we have to be adults here and look at real problem solving who benefits from this? What's behind it? And I say, if you want to understand motive, you got to look at who benefits. As a federal criminal investigator, you, the first thing you, you look at a crime, you're like, okay, let's ascertain what the motive must have been. And how do you find motive? You consider who benefits. Who's better off for this having happened? And in the case of, you know, there's all the details of two shooters and this kind of weapon, that kind of weapon. I'm not agonizing over that because I already see who benefits. I already see people like Hillary. Clinton shouting down American families that they need to give up their guns and that somehow the guns are the problem. Well, trucks aren't the problem. When they drive trucks into crowds and mow down as many people as they can, explosives aren't the problem. When they blow people up, chemicals aren't the problem. When they release different gases and kill as many people as they can, it's a cultural problem of people that decide that somehow mass murder is an acceptable means for them to achieve whatever objective. And that's a sick mind. And so why are all the mass murderers on the ideological left? So when I see someone like Joe Biden say, we need to have a conversation, I say, you're darn right, Joe Biden. Let's have a conversation about why all your people are committing mass murder, whether with trucks, guns, knives, bombs, poison, anything else. Why are they why do they keep doing it? Why is it always a radical liberal? And why do they think that that behavior is acceptable? Why don't they have any better regard for human life? Where is their moral compass? Why have your people gotten so lost, so depraved, and, and off on such a, a perverse goat trail of, of immorality that Mass murder is on their 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 map of of options to choose from 
to somehow make the world a better place. Uh, that's a sick mind that comes up with that as any sort of perceived solution. So I look at who benefits. Well, we've got this political push to disarm and divide the American people. Those are the people that benefit from this type of false flag event. And they're already right on the heels of it. You know, some say even before the bodies are cold, we're being shouted down about, you know, gun control. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, what if it was an, a truck bomb? You still got the same problem. You know, you can't disarm my peaceful family and fix that. So I resent the people that just live their lives, Sheila, reading a headline and running with it and, and attacking me emotionally with a nonsensical accusation when I've got the background through the intelligence community, federal law enforcement, counterterrorist community, and other hats that I've worn and professionals that I keep in close contact with. I look at the entire situation. I try to consider the totality of the circumstances and genuinely look for a solution. I, if you love people, you want them empowered and you want them safe and happy. I love the American people and I want them safe and happy. And I'm genuinely concerned about where this comes from. And as I look at it, honestly, I don't see that it's a tool of this kind or that that's the problem. Man, I grew up in Southern Texas, man. We had, there were guns everywhere and there was no problem with gun violence. You know, what they're calling gun violence, even that term is an attack from our enemies. That term was cooked up in a liberal think tank yeah. somewhere. Gun violence. They don't have truck violence or chemical violence or knife violence or, or anything else or radical liberal violence that they say on the news. The only one they pick is gun violence because guns are the only tool that we, the American people, have that we could defend ourselves from global tyranny with. That's a problem for our oppressors or would-be oppressors. So they attack it verbally as well as big Hollywood, mainstream news media, and through our academic hippie professors that, that want to tell people that somehow communism could be some sort of awesome utopia. Well, we see how this plays out in every other place. And plus we see, well, you would know this, and I thought this would be kind of interesting for you. Switzerland, by the way, Craig, has a population of 8.2 million, and it requires citizens to own guns. It has lowest homicide rate in the entire world. Now compare that to Honduras, same population, banned citizens from owning guns. Oh, gee, big surprise. It has the highest homicide rate on the planet. Same with Chicago, 506 gun deaths so far this year, 3,000 people shot, strictest gun laws in America. Gun control doesn't work. Like you mentioned, all this obfuscation. Ask Mao Zedong and Hitler and Pol Pot and Stalin how gun control works. What does it follow up with? Genocide. Disarmament always precedes mass death, Craig. And it's like the clown, oh, you don't need 30 rounds to hunt. Yeah, that is correct. But the Second Amendment was not written in case the deer turn against us. Come on. No, it was. The Second Amendment exists for we, the people, to be able to fight off a tyrannical, oppressive government if it ever comes to that. And that's why they want those types of tools out of our hands. They want to reduce us to smaller, insignificant weapons that are not effective at fighting someone with superior firepower. And that's why I'm okay with people having whatever weapons they want. But I think that the law-abiding, decent people should have them and that we shouldn't disarm those people whenever criminals act out the way that the criminals always act out. So we've got to we've got to have a real discussion about it, but we've got to have a real discussion about where this problem comes from. Why does this happen? Why do people use the trucks? Why do they use the bombs? Why do they use the guns of every sort? Why do they use chemicals? Why do they stab people? Why do they beat people to death? Why is this happening? If we are 
honest and want to stop it because that's the only thing that we can address to fix it. Yeah, that's right. And it's a systemic problem that's not fixed by more of an erosion of our liberties and freedoms either. And I really believe that the loss of rights kind of, it happens gradually a step at a time, a steady decline of our liberties over the last, well, 20 years, things that would have caused my father and grandfather to take to the street. Well, we don't bat an eye over it. It's kind of the frog in the boiling water. Slowly, we get acclimated to giving up one right at a time, one freedom at a time. We just kind of shrug it off. You know, when you think about the fact that, as you touched on, our founding fathers endowed us with a heck of a trust fund, not in gold, but in protection of our God-given rights. When writing those things, they knew the effects of tyrannical big government, Craig. They knew the importance of having the right to defend yourself, the right to free speech, and a a Second Amendment to protect that, the right to own property, and the right to a trial by your peers. Why did they know? Because at one time, they did not have them. They understood the effect of a tyrannical dictator or a ruthless king can have on a life. And we've got to remember that because hundreds of thousands of men have made the supreme sacrifice to protect our liberties and freedoms with their passion, blood, sweat and tears and even their very lives. So it's all that more important for us to stand up, like you said in the beginning, to these gun grabbing cronies. What part of shall not infringe these clowns not get, Craig? I'm still chewing on the beautiful thing that you said. Our founding fathers gave us one heck of a trust fund of freedom and liberty. Yeah. Uh, wow. That's cool. Hey, can I borrow that? I'm gonna, I got to borrow that. That's, that's powerful. Well, I don't know, Sheila, why they don't get it. I just know that we'd go crazy trying to understand a mind that doesn't function properly. We've got to come up with real solutions, not just an emotional feel-good thing that, uh, you know, a friend of mine said the other day, it's not that liberals, and it's someone that he's surrounded by liberal uh, clientele and colleagues uh, for his profession. He's like, they don't mean any harm. They're just naive. They don't know the world history. They don't understand the agenda. They don't know what that looks like. They're not well-versed on the different occurrences of genocide around the globe and what it took to lead up to that. They're just thinking emotionally. They're like, well, we just want everybody happy. And of course, you know, evil is is a great deceiver. And Mm. Soros, when he gives talking points to his, you know, underlings at Media Matters and and in the MSM Hollywood and everybody else, they're not saying, hey, we want, you know, a big, tyrannical, one world communist model and you're all going to be put under the boot and we're all going to be reduced to the lowest common denominator and have a horrific life from there on. They don't say that. They're like, well, it's this is democratic socialism. And this is really progressive. We're a leading edge. And this is for those the unfortunate. Don't you want to help the unfortunate? And young college kids like, well, yeah, duh, of course. <laughs> yeah, let's help the unfortunate. Let's be democratic socialists. This is a new thing. And it's it's reworked and revamped. And this we're going to do it right this time. And it's going to be something beautiful utopia. And they're like all dreamy-eyed. Yeah, that's cool. Meanwhile, behind it marches global communism with its evil and its tyranny, but the little sheep are unwitting because they don't know history. They don't know what's behind it and how this all works. And I'm frustrated. I I say shame on them for not shaking off their stupor and, and daring to face the ugly adult reality of what's behind this and not buy the scam. Hey, just, you know, I I look at them as like, 
unwitting little children going into the back of a creepy rape van for a piece of candy. Want some candy, little child? Oh, yes, I love candy. And then next thing you know, the door slams and, and they, they die with this horrific look on their face. You know, it's time to grow up, America. You know, I think the p people on the radical liberal left need to be educated. And it, this is an easy way to understand it. Whenever you give your government, and whatever terms you put on it, whatever you call your government model, when you give the government too much power over we the people, inevitably, over time, with no incentive to perform, they don't perform like the private sector. So now you take a, a society, a subculture of government employees whose paychecks are guaranteed, and you give them complete power over we the people. If you can't imagine why that turns bad, you are a fool. You need to realize that's the dynamic. That's what happens. Don't give people with a guaranteed paycheck complete control over the people because it inevitably it turns hostile and oppressive. That's what we all need to understand as Americans. We need to throw off the different labels and divisions and recognize that we are all in trouble. We are all in danger of this happening to us. And if we, the people, will just realize that we're on one team, we're on Team America, we need to throw off all the different labels that, that our opposition has put on us to divide us and weaken us and make us easier prey and unite as one because that is how we become strong. It's like a football team. You got to be on the same play. Got to have each other's backs for that play to work, right? So we need to do that as an American citizenry. We need to look at each other's brothers and sisters as family and unite and stand up against those that have global interest to control we, the American people, in addition to everything else that they already control. Well said. Here, here. Very, very well articulated. Well, in the waning moments here, Craig, for those that are listening that may not be aware of Vets for Child Rescue, this is so near and dear to my heart. I want you to take a few minutes and talk about Veterans for Child Rescue and what you're doing with that. And now I know you've got some Red Dawn response trainings, different things coming up. Take a little bit of time and talk about that, too. Yes, absolutely. I've got a, an organization to expose the massive child trafficking uh, trade, if you will, illegal trade. There's so many children being trafficked for the elites and for uh, crime families and for a bunch of other reasons. But the way to overcome this is to alert the American public to it so that we can all rise up and demand stronger enforcement against it. Because right now it's going on under our noses and it's very easy for the child traffickers to do it. And millions of children are suffering because of that dynamic. So to turn that around, I created Veterans for Child Rescue. And the website is vetsforchildrescue.org. Vets and the number four, childrescue.org. So we're asking for donations so that we can fund this documentary to expose it. We've got all kinds of uh, people that have been involved in this, from the perpetrators, the law enforcement, to the victims and, and the witnesses, the whole nine. And we're going to show everybody a very high-quality production. The story of how this happens is going to be very well told and inform and empower the American people against this so that millions of children are not subjected to this in the future. So that's what that, what's going on there. We appreciate everybody's uh, support. We've extended our development portion of that because uh, the, we've gotten bigger opportunities than we initially thought. And so now it's going to be a two-hour feature film documentary. It's going to be the highest level of quality production. And we've got bigger access. And 
and bigger story to tell than we started off to. So it has grown and it is even better. So we're grateful for that horsepower behind us, powerful people and good Americans standing up and rallying with us. Uh, as far as training, I've got a, a Red Dawn response training course that's that's uh, kind of a run-and-gun course of defense and tactical training, and that's going to be going on at Pro Gun Club in Las Vegas, Nevada, on December 2 and 3. So you can go to tacticalinsider.com and go to the training page and look for Red Dawn response and register and pay there. So that's what's going on, and, I, man, I appreciate your your opportunity to, to get the word out, Sheila, and keep our, our people aware and fight off this attack against our, our protective constitution and uh, and celebrate and maintain that, that beautiful trust fund that our founding <laughs> fathers gave us with that constitutional bill of rights. <laughs> you like that, don't you? I'm going to let you officially plagiarize that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, Craig, I want to thank you for taking the time out to come on this very, very important roundtable, especially in a vapid sea of headlines all over the place about gun bans. I think it's just such a very important subject. You really rounded this out nicely. I thank you for your service, sir, and thank you for coming on, and God bless you. Thank you, Sheila. I enjoyed it. That was a gun rights, defense, and mass shooting roundtable Very important discussion. Make sure that you do say hello and give a shout out. Let those gentlemen know that you heard them on the program. Since we're getting hit with the kitchen sink when it comes to these gun-grabbing cronies, I think it's really important to arm ourselves with information. I hope you do share this information. If you have any questions, you can go to weekendvigilante.com. Hey, the new website is launching this week. I want to apologize. Our app is just getting synced over. So people that are emailing me frantically about the app, I'm very aware of the problem. I want to say, please be patient. We'll get that all synced this week with the launch of the newer, much bigger bandwidth, much better site. And I'll be giving out the new website address. And it's so easy. You're going to love it. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune into the program. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter. I am trying to figure out how I went from 82,000 followers. And in one month, after a couple posts, I'm now at, well, I was at 68K last week. And this week, I'm at 58K. How am I losing 10,000 people a week at mock speed? I don't understand this. But clearly, something else stinks in Denmark with that. Folks, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to the program. We'll see you next time. Good night and God bless.